Welcome to the Arena Church podcast. We hope you enjoy the message. And uh, my, my text for this morning is found in Romans 5, verse 6 to 8. It says this, You see, at just the right time, when we were still powerless, Christ died for the ungodly. Very rarely will anyone die for a righteous person, though for a good person, someone might possibly dare to die. But God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. We're going to come back to this in just a second. But as you know, I love this time of year. I've been talking about Christmas films since November. I truly believe those words that Andy Williams sang. It is the most wonderful time of the year. I love the Christmas parties. I love eating so much that you have to loosen off your belt. I love the guilt-free time spent doing whatever. I think Christmas is the only time that you can do that, isn't it? It's like guilt-free time. Like I'll sit and watch TV for hours on end. It's, uh, it is pretty great. Not a good thing to do all year round, but at Christmas, like those days from like December 23rd to like the 3rd of January, like do what you want. <laughs> it's fine. Eat so much that you, uh, you know, your, your, your trousers pop and you have to buy all new stuff in the January sales. That is okay. I even love the cold weather and wrapping up. One of the things that Helen and I do in our family is we watch Christmas movies. So this year we were, we were restrained. We didn't start Christmas movies until November. <laughs> that is, we were restrained as well because Helen was like in October. But this one year, it was the year Judah was born. We started Christmas movies the first Sunday in October. I, I still vividly remember it six years ago. We came home from church. We had a McDonald's on the way home from church. We sat there and Helen says, shall we put a Christmas film on? Now, I want to share from my infinite wisdom about Christmas films, how you should do this if you're going to do a, a similar tactic in the future, that if you're going to start in October, you can't watch the good stuff first. Like, there's only enough good Christmas films for December. Now, now what, we, we had three months of this. That's 90 days, okay? So we had 90 days of watching Christmas films. So what you have to do is you have to start with the rubbish, like, first, and you have to ease your way in to the good stuff. You have to space it all out. So this one year, we completed Amazon Prime. We completed Netflix, even Christmas 24. Who knows Christmas 24? There's a few people... Who do? And the funny thing is this, the worse Christmas film gets, the more predictable they, they become. Uh, I mean, just by a show of hands, who's seen A Christmas Prince on Netflix? Anybody? A Christmas Prince. Look round, these are all the crazy Christmas people. <laughs> See, literally every one of these low-budget Christmas films, the same thing happens. There's someone who's down on the log, a guy or a woman, they... Um, end up bumping into this person that they really despise and by an amazing look at, you know, thing of chance or, or, or look, they fall in love. Can you believe it? But that's not the end of the story there. Something happens to separate them in some way. And can you believe it? By the end of the film, they get together in this beautiful Christmas environment. You don't need to watch a Christmas film now. I've explained every Christmas film to you pretty much. But one of our favourite films, mine and Helen's favourite Christmas films, is a film called Love, actually, where the idea of the film is showing real love. The tribulation that comes with it, young love, mature love, new love. It's obviously far-fetched, but the premise is interesting because we all know that real love doesn't look like what we see on our screens. Those of us who are married, 
We realise that day to day isn't this romantic experience where everything's perfect and you're always just you know jumping around hand in hand. I mean, Helen won't even hold my hand on the way to school. So it's like <laughs> that was like what I used to be like with my dad. Dad, I'm 15. I'm not holding your hand on the way in. <laughs> <laughs> I'm joking, that was on my way into my first day at work. <laughs> and actually, I was saying, Dad, please hold my hand, I'm scared. <laughs> my dad's like, forgive him, Father, he doesn't know what he's doing. <laughs> but love, actually, is filled with some fairly grandiose demonstrations of love, like people running through an airport or a... Pri- Who thinks that Hugh Grant would be a, a great Prime Minister for right now? <laughs> You know, knocking, looking for uh, Martin McClutchen, uh, and he finds her finally. It's about these demonstrations, and, and here's the thing that I think the film gets right. The real love requires action. Real love requires a demonstration. See, real love is more than just words. If I tell my wife that I, I love her, but then continually disrespect her, abuse our marriage, never speak to her, never help her, never, uh, and never there for her, then while I say I might love her, my actions, they prove different. Because real love requires a demonstration. Yeah. Romans 5, what it says, but God demonstrates yeah. his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. See, Jesus wasn't just content to sit in heaven and let us get on with it. He wasn't content to sit on the sidelines and let us crack on. He wasn't okay with us dealing with the hurt, with the struggle, with the anxiety, with the pain that can come with his life. He didn't just confess his love for us. He demonstrated it. This is love, actually. That a perfect God will come to earth, lay down his life for you and me to help us, to heal us, to set us free, to give us a new start. And who better to demonstrate what love is, to show us what real love is, what true love means. Because in 1 John 4 verse 8, the Bible says this, that God is love. Who better to show us? I want you to understand and grasp today because I'm sure you've heard a lot about God throughout your life. Maybe that that he's mad at you. Maybe you've heard that, that preacher on the street corner say that he, he's mad at you or, or, or maybe you've felt like you, you don't fit within church. Maybe you feel like you don't fit in the family of God, that he doesn't care for you, that he only loves those in church and he doesn't like those outside of it. I think a lot of people picture God like the, the angry headmaster wagging his finger at you and looking down his nose at you in disapproval. But I want to tell you today that this couldn't be further from the truth. If there's one thing I want you to take away from this morning, it's this, that there is nothing you can do to make God love you more than he does now. You say, how do you know this, Josh? And it's a good question. I know it because of what's written here in Romans 5. Let's look at it again. You see, at just the right time, when we were still powerless, Christ died for the ungodly. Very rarely will anyone die for a righteous person. Though for a good person, someone might possibly dare to die. But God demonstrates his own love for us in this, that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. God demonstrated his love for us by not dying for us at our best, but dying for us 
at our worst. He died and rose again for a world that might never follow him, might never accept his love, might never live life in relationship with him. He died just to give you a chance to get to know him. He died just to give you a chance to start a relationship. He died just to give you a chance, just to give you a shot at freedom. This, this verse says that someone might die for a good person or, or someone they're close to, but God's love was demonstrated by him dying even for those who hate him, even for those who ridicule him, even for those who put him on the cross, even for those who might never follow him. Who does that? Who does that? I mean, I might die for my kids or for Helen, but to be completely honest, for a stranger, or even worse than that, someone who opposes me or someone who doesn't like me, someone who I don't like. I mean, come on, I know what I'm like when someone cuts me up in traffic. But God demonstrates his own love for us. That while we were at our worst, he died for us then. But this is the perfect, unconditional love of God. That he died for you and for me, not at our best, but when we were in our worst moment. And we might all look like we've got it together this morning. But we know what we can be like at our worst. We know how we've messed up and how we've got it wrong. That's when God died for us. When we didn't care about him, when we turned our backs on him, when we were so preoccupied with ourselves, when we wanted nothing to do with him. This shows us though, that there is nothing we can do to escape his love. This is real love. This is love with no limits. This is love unconditional. This is love actually. The, the fact that God died for us at our worst shows us that his love is not predicated on our performance. It's based upon his. His love for us is not based upon our goodness. It's not based upon what you look like or the way you act. It's based upon who he is. See, if God's love for me was based upon me being perfect, his love for me would be low because my capacity to get it wrong, to make mistakes, to err, is so high because I'm imperfect. But this is good news today, that God didn't come for perfect people. He came to give imperfect people like you and me another chance, another shot, a new beginning. All our mess, all of our mistakes, all of our wrong for all of his mercy, all of his grace and all of his peace. His love for you is not based upon your performance. It's based upon his grace. I think a lot of people believe in God in some form. And I also think a lot of people think that God wants to turn them into someone else. Like God wants you to be these religious robots that are just perfect. But this isn't the case. See, God created us. He created our diversity and difference and he loves it. He loves that we're different. And I believe that true beauty in this world comes when people from different races, demographics and backgrounds come together and choose to look past those differences and to look to Jesus who brings us together. See, God doesn't want to turn you into a religious robot. He doesn't want to turn you into someone else. He wants to turn you back into you. The person he created when he formed you in your mother's womb. We all know that the mess of life can taint us and twist us and make us more cynical. If that isn't the case, why are adults, why do adults have a much more depressing outlook on life than kids? 
We get tainted by what goes on. We put up walls. We lower our expectation to stop getting hurt again. But God wants to set you free from your mess. He wants to help you deal with it so that you can be who you were created to be. I want you to know this today, that you are on this planet for a reason. You are not a mistake. You are not here to just go through the motions. You were created on purpose, for a purpose, and God wants to lead you in that today. In John 10.10, Jesus says this, I have come that they may have life and have it in all its abundance. See, people think that God is this cosmic fun sponge trying to suck all the enjoyment out of life, but the opposite's true. Jesus came to this earth to give his life to the full. He came to give you life like you've never known it. He came to give you a purpose. He came to give you hope. He came to give you a new start in him. He came to give you a big life. See, there's more proof that Jesus Christ lived than that Julius Caesar was a Roman emperor. That's a fact. It's a fact that he lived. History records it. Why would he go through everything he went through to make our lives worse? To take from you. Jesus didn't come to take from you. He came to give life everlasting, new hope and a fresh start. He came not to establish a religion, but to start a relationship. He came so that you could know him personally, so that you could walk with him. I want you to know today, God isn't scared of your mess. Because we can all admit that we're a bit messy at times. Just some of us are better at hiding it than others. He's not scared of our mess. He doesn't want you to clean yourself up before you start a relationship with him. He wants to be invited into your mess. He wants to be invited into the complexity and anxiety and pain of your life. And he wants to help you with that. This is the greatest gift. This is love, actually. That the God of heaven and earth the God who created you and me would leave the perfection of heaven, live a perfect life, die a brutal death and rise again to start a relationship with you and me. Why don't you bow your head and close your eyes? I just want to give you an invitation today to get to know this Jesus. We've seen it throughout the nativity that the kids did so well that Jesus came to this earth left the perfection of heaven, the comfort of heaven, the beauty of heaven, to come on a mission to rescue you. A mission so that you could know him, so that you could walk with him, so that you could live free and so that you could be free. If today you want to start a relationship with Jesus, I want you to just lift your hand if that's you. Say, I want to start a relationship with Jesus today. That's great, I see you there. Is there anyone else today? You say, I want to start a relationship with Jesus. That's great. God, for this man who's lifted his hand today, Father, I pray that he would give you all of him, that he wouldn't hold anything back, that he would give you his good bits and his bad bits and that he would invite you in to all of the bits of his life, Father. Lord, and as he walks from this place today, that he would feel the power of your spirit coursing through his veins is he lives life in relationship with you. We thank you, God, for Christmas. We thank you for this time of year. We thank you that you are the reason for the season. We love you, Jesus. Amen.
Amen.